welcome to another podcast on the art of relationships. Uh, I'm Chris Grace. And I'm Tim Yohoff. So we're going to talk to you a little bit more about some uh, things related to marriage. And Tim, we get questions every time we go out and talk to churches and couples and yeah. at retreat centers and do a conference. And these questions are amazing because they really do hit at the heart of some of our deepest needs, deep, deepest issues. And uh, we have a number of them. I, what about tackling some of them? What do you think? Yeah. Let me make one general point real quick. This is the importance of being in community because you can tend to think with with questions you have, well, we're the only couple who struggles with this. We're the only couple who struggles with that. The great thing about tackling questions like this, to me, Chris, is it just shows we're all sort of kind of struggling with the same sort of things. And so it's, it's great to get outside perspective, but to know, boy, you're in this with a lot of people. A lot of people struggle. So here's the first one. I bet you we're going to have a lot of spouses shaking their heads yes when it comes to this question. So a husband says he... Loves his wife of 30 years, but she says he loves his remote more than her. He likes to come home from work every day and sit in front of the TV until it's time to go to bed. Same thing every single day. Yeah, we hear the same. It's the same thing. My husband or wife comes home and they're in front of the computer. They're in front of their cell phone. That's right. They can't get off the TV. And it's, yeah. they, they, that's how they unwind. I appreciate and understand that. But every day for hours. So let me just tackle this from one aspect, which might seem like I'm giving the husband a little bit of an out, but my dad um, was this. Uh, my parents were married for 48 years, and I remember my dad would come home, he'd sit in front of the TV, Chris, he'd fall asleep, then just kind of wake himself up, and he'd just go to bed. He literally ate dinner in front of the TV set, and it just ticks my mom off, and we kind of you know shook our heads in judgment until one summer, I went and worked at his factory. Mm. And Chris, it was the most back-breaking, exhausting, tiring thing I've ever done in my life, mm -hmm. other than this podcast with you. <laughs> and um, so it gave me just a little bit of empathy, yeah. right? Yeah. So I'm not saying it's okay to do that. Mm -hmm. But one thing a spouse might want to do is to step back and say, okay, I wonder what is going on at work. Mm -hmm. I wonder how stressful work is. I wonder how tiring work is. And maybe he does need this unwind time. Now, every night is too much, of course. But the very first step might be uh, check my attitude as I'm confronting my spouse because of social media, the remote or whatever. And I wonder if I'm seeing uh, life through that person's eyes to see how busy, tiring or stressful work may be. Now, once that's done, what do we suggest yeah, I, I think what you start with, Tim, I, I like that idea. And then you start another question to start with is this some people really do process uh, difficulties, emotions, work days um, by talking about it, right? Yeah. External processors can visit and talk and they want to share and, and they go through the details. Others really need some space and there might be even be internal processors. They It takes a little bit of time when conflict is there or you're debriefing from a day, you just have to unwind. I, mm. I, one of our very first conflicts ever in marriage happened around the third or fourth month. I came home from school, uh, working uh, and, and teaching a class and we are newly married, and Elisa was just um, excited to see me. Uh, you know, I'd come in the door, we'd hug, kiss, and and then I could tell that I wanted and needed to get away just for half yeah, an hour, just yeah, for an hour yeah. to process and think and unwind and get ready for the evening. And she misinterpreted that early on as that I was maybe rejecting her mm -hmm. or not wanting mm -hmm. to be with mm -hmm. her. 
And I really had to own up to the fact that I wasn't really communicating that I just needed this space and time. So one of the things that we did, one of the best things we did was have that conversation about when I go and do this, um, uh, it feels like it, it helps me to engage better. It, 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 it's done to help me you know, re-engage with you. But I really wasn't very good at that. Right, and so right, what was happening right. was I was just spending more time debriefing and trying to recharge, and she was feeling more and more rejected. So ultimately, at the end, you know what we had to do is we had to kind of talk about time frames and time commitments. And that's, good. And that's really that's good. what helped us out is a half hour, I'd come home, and now today, it's even the same way now. After all these years of marriage, I come home, she greets me, we, we, you know, we say hi, interact briefly, and then I take about... 20 to 30 minutes, and she always gives me that space, and I usually find that I'm better and I can come back out and re-engage. Now, that's not getting at the heart of this question. What happens when someone overwhelms the time and spends too much time on social media and never comes back and re-engages? Yeah, I think this, it sounds like from this question, this woman would take that in a heartbeat. Yeah, 30 seconds of, uh, 30 minutes of debrief time, hey, fine, but this sounds like all night, every night, and then he just goes to bed. So here, I think two things, one, Again, this is a Christian marriage, so you don't punish him, mm-hmm. right? I'm mad at you for sitting in front of the TV with the remote, so guess what? I'm going to make life miserable for you. I'm going to withhold affection. We don't mm-hmm. want to go that route. I do like what you're saying. I, I think it'd be good to sit down and have a conversation to say, listen, I get that you're tired when you when you come home, and I, I certainly understand the need to decompress, but what if Wednesday nights was our date night? Mm-hmm. What if the weekends were different? So again, having some kind of conversation about our routine is really good, um, but just be prepared that it might not go well. He might become defensive. That's why we don't withhold our love, affection towards our spouses in a Christian marriage, just because we're not getting the answer or the results. So love that person, and God's going to use your love to actually mm-hmm. work in that person mm-hmm. to maybe soften that person up. Yeah, this is a hard one. and. I think it's even harder, Tim, when both spouses are working. Of course, you know we're yeah. it, it's it's kind of more of a reality than it ever has been, and so both are dealing with this at different times, different time schedules, and so you know what it really oftentimes comes down to, I think, is scheduling a time, finding out what's appropriate. You know, if you you know if you come home from your job and you just need two hours to catch up and. It, you, then you find that time somewhere, but yeah. you also need to schedule in us time. And I think that's where you kind of make some agreements, you yeah. know, if you're both working or even if just one is working and and that can be very critical uh, with the kids. You got kids into the mix. That's right. And now right. you have to find time to maybe get off of any kind of technology, right? We talk, sometimes talk about it. Nine o'clock, all technology turns off. Now, we don't do it all the time, yeah. but it really can be helpful sometimes to set parameters. And obviously, one caveat to everything we're saying, this does not apply to sporting events, right? <laughs> this, is, this is God's exemption we, yeah, if the final four is you, on in the come weekend. Come on, NCAA and, tournament, or let's even say hockey playoffs, two months. Yeah, that's baseball just, season starting. That's just the rhythm of life <laughs> from our perspective. Okay, I think we just lost some. Yeah, we lost some viewers, listeners. All right, uh, another question. This is a great one. How does a couple properly manage financial stress? Uh, let me just say this right off the bat. Uh, don't assume that everybody feels that stress equally. Mm-hmm. Uh, Noreen was a business major, University of Connecticut. I was a theater major. Eastern Michigan University, she was pre-law, I was pre-unemployment. I'm fine with certain levels of financial stress that Noreen's not fine with. I mean, she really does do a great job paying attention to the budget. You know, me, I'm like, my 
goodness, Amazon Prime is God's gift <laughs> to people. So first, recognize that maybe both of you have different levels of stress tolerance, I think is good. But this is where, again, Paul comes back into play, give preference to the other person. So I think you have to adopt each other's stress levels. So Chris, if, what are some great basic steps people can take when it comes to right, how do we manage the stress of the financial uh, pressures we're facing? I think one of the best things we did was we started to um, approach the situation of our spending, our finances, and the stress we were under by getting a better understanding of how we each viewed money. And yeah. that really just started by asking the question, honey, can you just tell me a little bit about – tell me about money growing up. What was it like for you? How do you see it today? If, if you were to come into you know a large amount of money right now, what would be your – you know? dream about spending it or saving it and where did that come from and so that was really helpful for me because i realized yeah. that i saw it a little bit differently well a lot differently than than lisa did and so we learned early on the best way that we overcame a lot of our financial stressors and the the conflict that we had over money was simply beginning to hear the other story and then take that into account. So it's really hard because I still want to save. Yeah. She still felt like saving was meant to be used ultimately to be to spend somewhere. And so at the end of the day, we had to kind of kind of compromise and go, all right, I really want to search out your best interest and seek that out. And if if you're more comfortable saving in order to to save up to buy something, I need to be okay with that at a, and then come up with certain limits yep. and certain yep. ways to do that. So that really helped us is getting a deeper understanding of how we each viewed money uh, and what it meant to us. And then Elisa would say one of the best things was taking some financial courses or at least yeah. looking on different and reading different books. You know, there's Crown the, Ministries. Crown Ministries. Yeah. You have Dave Ramsey's yeah, uh, good, material. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, you know, there's all kinds of things out there that could help a couple. And we want to recognize, because we know we have diverse listeners, that we recognize not all these situations are the same. Mm -hmm. Some couples are experiencing stress because their discretionary spending is kind of out of whack. Yeah. There's other listeners who are saying, hey, we don't have any discretionary yeah. spending. We, we are at our wits end. We're looking at not being able to pay the rent. Mm -hmm. We're looking at um, just trying to, we live paycheck to paycheck. So understand all stress is not the same. Yeah. And for those of you who are just by your fingernails hanging on, one, God deeply applauds the fact that you are taking care of your family, and that might mean working two jobs and both of you are working. Those are hard situations. Um, and, and there's no end in sight. I mean, you, you've cut everything you can possibly cut. Mm -hmm. So this is where I do think getting some help, there's a lot of resources out there. I, I would do some web searches, but more importantly than anything else, be in community. Mm -hmm. you, you can't handle the stress of this, just you and your spouse and, and family. This is where a good local church can even help you financially, as well as just give you support, prayers. So don't be in this by yourself. You must be in a community as you're really tackling um, hard issues. Yeah. Well, Tim, let's uh, let's transition now to uh, another question. Uh, and there's some that are really important. I think uh, it may be the idea of blended families. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, wherever we go, this issue of blended families comes up. And one uh, person just wrote us and asked this question. Um, my wife has three adult children, and she oftentimes struggles with boundaries, and we both do, and then prioritizing our marriage over their issues. Uh, how do we go about doing that in a way that's healthy and good? 
Well, I have a brother, and I, he, he's given me permission to share this. My middle brother got divorced and married a woman uh, who also got divorced. Both of them wanted to work on the marriages, but their spouses wanted nothing to do with it. So now they're divorced. So Ken marries Betsy, and she has an adult, uh, a, a daughter who's probably 16, 17. And uh, of course, Ken wants to win her over. Of course he does. So he went through a little bit of a phase where, you know, he, he's putting that goal over his relationship with his wife. Now, I get that. I totally understand that. So Ken had to reorient it, um, and he had to expense, exp- eventually say to his uh, daughter, listen, I love your mom, and I've got to. That has to be the primary relationship. It just has to be. So we'd go back. I think you and I would agree that, boy, if kids perceive that the primary relationship is stable, that mom and dad are stable, that that really will bleed into uh, your relationship with them. So I get that this uh, mm-hmm. person asking the question says, hey, there's boundary issues. And of course, you're going to struggle with putting your kids above your um, new husband or new wife. But just remember what the scriptures say, that husbands, you're called to love your wife as Christ loved the church. Ladies, you're called to respect your husband's is you respect the Savior himself. If you take care of that, make that a priority, I do think the kids are going to notice that. I think it's going to bleed into your relationship with them. Mm. Yeah. Hard situation. Yeah. Uh, here's another one. And, and boy, these are, these are some serious questions. But this is the type of culture we live in. What if in a marriage only one person truly wants to stay in the marriage – and is working and fighting for the marriage. Boy, we hear this a lot. Mm-hmm. So let me just say this. This is the difference that being a Christian marriage makes. This is the difference when you say, you know what? God is in charge of this marriage. Because I think God would say to you, the person who's fighting for the marriage, you keep doing what's right. Mm-hmm. You keep pursuing that person. You keep loving that person with God's love. And God says, you know what? I'm going to take that love. And I'm going to use it in the heart of your spouse, even if it doesn't look like anything is happening. Paul had a really interesting metaphor he used. He said this. He said, when those people who are your enemies or they hate you, when they're hungry, Paul said, don't withhold food from them. Give them food. And in doing so, the Holy Spirit will use burning coals, this powerful metaphor. So again, you keep loving your spouse, and God's going to use that kindness. Um to work in the heart of that spouse. And that's all you can do. And at the end of the day, God is applauding your efforts. And again, this is why you need to be in community. This is hard to do on a day-to-day basis. Chris, anything that you would add? Well, I, I, I think you're hitting the right point that oftentimes one of the things that we can control, if not our other spouse, we can control ourselves. And yeah. we need, you need to ask hard questions. Am I truly loving and fighting the right way? If I'm fighting for this oh, marriage and I'm truly working on this, am I doing it in a way that is working at reconciliation that's working at, you know, um, the things that I might be struggling with or dealing with. And when I fight for this marriage, am I doing it in a way that's prayerful, thoughtful, kind? And I think you can get help from people and ask them, is there there something that I could be doing better or something I could be working on? We can ask, you know, God that. God is, help me to see some of the ways that I can reach out in this very difficult situation to somebody who may not be responding to me, but help me, grow me, teach me, and be with this 
my partner, my spouse, and bring them to us, bring us back in, in a way that... And, and so I think it starts yeah. with some hard self-questions. And I love that, though. I love that, Chris. But l- let's paint the scenario. You do all the introspection you can, and, and it comes out that you're doing everything uh-huh. you can. Your yeah. heart's in the right place, and it still doesn't keep your spouse from leaving. Yeah. That free will thing is important. Now, I like what Dobson said about parenting. I think it can apply to marriage. Dobson said this, when your kids turn out good, don't take all the credit. When they turn out bad, don't take all the blame. Mm-hmm. So if your spouse leaves, you can't look at that and say, it was my fault, my right. fault, my fault. Right. Hey, you might have done everything. You, you, you tried to be as biblical as possible, and your spouse still said, I'm sorry, I'm out of here. Yeah. Well, you love them anyway. And then eventually, if they do leave, then I think you have serious conversations with the leadership of your church about, okay, now what do we do? My husband has basically abandoned me or my wife has abandoned me. But do what's right and God will applaud that and he will use it in the heart of your spouse, but your spouse can reject it. Yeah, and I think that's where it becomes very hard. You want to fight for this and you want to you want to bring it to a place where you're doing all that you possibly can. And that involves things that you said, Tim. It involves talking with Friends, getting insights that you maybe uh, haven't had before. It's praying over your partner. It's it's encouraging uh, counseling and outside you know professional help. Yeah, yeah. And I think that could be extremely helpful if they're willing to go and do that. And that's that's some of the things you can do. And then and like you said, sometimes it comes down to, you know, I, I can only do so much, and and I've done the best I can, and move forward. Another question: um, What do you do when you have everything? Um, but all your husband is all your husband does is work, uh, and you are so lonely. Or all your wife does is work, and you are so lonely. Um, and and so this idea that you've done everything yet there's still this loneliness that yeah, exists, yeah. and that's kind of this idea. Like I've done all this work, we're staying in this, we, uh, but but the fighting is now. It's no longer really kind of even fighting. It's just loneliness. And um, let me focus on the front part of that question. Uh This is at least how I'm interpreting it. What do you do when you have everything? Mm. See, I think, Chris, one of the things we struggle with in America is this. We think of a certain lifestyle. We actually call it the American dream. It was a phrase that came out of the 1960s, which is always bigger and better, upward, 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 Mm -hmm. which I get that. And us living in, you know, Southern California, my goodness, we see this all the time. Hey, all of that comes with cost. Mm -hmm. So you can't have everything and then have time for each other. So, and again, if this isn't how this um, listener, if this isn't what he or she's dealing with, I apologize. But I think for a lot of couples, especially in Southern California, man, that vacation home comes with cost. Those cars come with cost. Mm-hmm. And living a, a, at a certain level all comes, somebody's got to pay that bill. Mm-hmm. And often we, we do pay the bill and then we get the home, but we're not happy living in the home. Mm-hmm. We get a certain kind of life and there's just nothing left. Mm-hmm. So this is where we need to make a distinction between wants and desires mm-hmm. and needs. Mm-hmm. I, I don't doubt that there's certain needs that we got to have, but man, a lot of us have wants that have been really shaped mm-hmm. by the American dream, mm-hmm. this upward mobility. So the first thing to do is sit down and say, hey, are we killing ourselves here? I, we have some really good friends in North Carolina. Their house was killing them. It was killing them. He, he was working 70 hours a week. And they made a heroic decision to sell the house. And they, they moved into a place right down the road that was a much lower income neighborhood. He said, listen, initially it was really embarrassing. Because people would say, hey, uh, new to the area? No, actually, just 
we move from you know this neighborhood and oh did you lose your job no no just decided to downsize hey i applaud them for making that decision yeah you know this it, I, it is a great decision tim because it allows you to capture something you know they did this survey of around 20,000 couples one time in preparing and rich and what they did is these two groups of couples were struggling and they followed them over the next year and a half. And as they followed these two different groups of couples, what stood out to them was they were about the same, lonely, dealing with some conflict, dealing with some struggles at the both at the same time. A year and a half later, there was a set of couples that were actually doing better. They were thriving. <laughs> they had been they had started to take care of the relationship and actually they would say we're doing very well. Our marriage quality is high. And the other group was still about the same. And they looked at the difference between these two couples to see what what separated them out. And the most interesting thing was the difference was about an an average of five hours a week. And that difference was that couples that were now learning, growing, thriving even, had high quality marriages, had found a kind of almost like a a little way to cure some of this. And that is they invested five more hours a week in their relationship. Gottman calls it the magic of five hours. Other wow. people just say, it's really an investment. So so for this friend of yours that moved into this other location just to be able to afford it, if you can take that time capture, just yes. an hour yes. a day yeah. even, yeah. even less than, I mean, it's 45 minutes a day or sometimes a three-hour date night and then two more hours during the week and invest that time, you can find some significant help in a relationship that's lonely or a relationship that's struggling and now you plow back in just the smallest amount, and it can do some amazing help and bring some amazing insight and help for couples. So the magic of five hours, Boy, that's where great. can you find five hours a week? That's not that hard. That's great. That's 45 minutes a day. Turn off the TV. Turn off the, you know, Facebook. Right. Turn off social media and invest in that little bit of time. You know, Noreen and I, <clears throat> I forget when anniversary this was, but we asked each other, we were walking on a beach and we said, what was the most stressful year of the marriage and what was the least stressful? What shocked us is we both picked the least stressful, and it's when we lived in the former Soviet Union. Mm -hmm. Now, you would look at that and say, least stressful? Mm -hmm. How is that not the most stressful? You know why it wasn't stressful, Chris? We didn't own a car, Mm -hmm. so none of that upkeep. We rented. Mm -hmm. It wasn't our house. We walked everywhere. We had a limited amount of clothes, Mm -hmm. right? So I thought the freedom was... And then we move back to the United States, right? We walk in, we have a house, a yard, two two cars, all that craziness. I think there is something to downsizing mm-hmm. and mentally downsizing, even spiritually downsizing to mm-hmm. say, Lord, do we really need need this? And um, man, maybe, maybe sitting down as a couple and saying, mm-hmm. let's take an inventory of everything. Mm-hmm. And maybe we don't need all this. Maybe we don't need this kind of pressure. Yeah. No, that's great. And I think at the end, when we end up finding ways to um, to reinvest into some things that we used to do, right? When we would date, when we were engaged, no doubt you spend time together. You went out on date nights. You went out on meals. You just simply yeah. found an yep. hour to take a walk, a drive. Those can be great ways of capturing some time. When I stopped modeling. Yeah, that brought you all kinds I mean, of time. It was the flight. Uh, think about that. All the the... the <laughs> The personal the trainers, the pressure being objectified, yeah. it simplified. Yeah, the tan in the can, man. You had to spray that on all the time. That's very expensive to do. I got rid of my hair. It just, it helped. <laughs> all right, let's try one more question. Right, Ready? One more. My husband has an issue with um, me having, as she says, girl time. Mm. It has been 11 years and I've never had a weekend with my girlfriends. Uh, he said, I married him, not my girlfriends. I, I think this issue, it couldn't come out in questions like yeah. this. 
sometimes we have a hard time letting our partner, our spouse have time alone with family or with girlfriends or other friends. And talk about that, Tim. How do we navigate this issue where, um, you know, you want your partner to have some fun time and enjoy, but it's hard to give them up. And and maybe during stressful, busy times, it's it's hard to say, you know, I remember Lisa would want to go see her sister and her mom. And I would really want her to do that because I loved the fact that yeah, she yeah. was connected to them and she enjoyed the time, but it was so hard to leave me with the children at home, you know, three hungry children and a crop in the field. And I'm just going, how long are you going for? And she said, oh, it's just a couple of days. But to realize some of the benefits of that uh, took a little bit of time. Well, what do you do when, when there's an issue with that or people are struggling with that, taking time? Well, I, what concerns me a little bit is that it's been 11 years, yeah. right? This isn't a one to two year marriage that's kind of working on those transitions that yeah. we all have to work. And again, you're not single anymore. You're not running off and playing basketball every yeah. Saturday morning or Sunday morning or something like that. But this has been 11 years. So... It shows me that this is maybe a sign of something deeper than this. Maybe it's a lack of trust, mm-hmm. maybe it, feeling uh, insecurity towards us. Or if we go far enough on the continuum, one of the signs of abuse is that you do isolate a mm-hmm. spouse and you mm-hmm. keep that spouse from friends. Mm-hmm. So who knows where on the continuum this is? I, I agree with you, Chris. I want Noreen spending time mm-hmm. with her friends, and mm-hmm. I want to have time mm-hmm. to spend time with friends. Now, obviously, that has to be negotiated, and it can be too much. But And again, when kids are young, this gets mm-hmm. really hard, because if I make a decision to go spend time with friends, guess what? Mm-hmm. Noreen's spending time with the small kids, so that has to be negotiated. But this has been 11 years. I, I would say sit down, and again, I get why you'd be defensive, but perspective-taking. I want to understand what's happening in my spouse's life mm-hmm. that he feels threatened by this or doesn't think that there's a need. Does he not have friends? Maybe yeah. you're not encouraging him to, to cultivate friends as well. So th- what's hard about this is all of these questions have massive context and yeah. we'd have to understand. But I think generally speaking, it's good to have friends and it's good to uh, to make those kind of friendships that you get their perspective, you blow off steam, you laugh. I think generally speaking, it's a good thing. With this particular person, I'd want to get it to the root, what, why he doesn't buy into this. Yeah, I think you're right, Tim. I think ultimately getting at that issue and then encouraging uh, his friendship with other guys and then yeah. um, being able to just find time and, and just recognize that this really does help both people become even more committed uh, and it, it helps kind of our development, our growth to to reach out to others, to be strongly connected to family and friends, yeah. and uh, yep. it's a positive thing to look forward to. So, I would think so. Hey, keep these questions coming. Yep. We this is great, and we will periodically do this. Just tackle questions from a singles perspective as well as from a married perspective. So we love it. Stay active, stay connected. And one way you can do this through our website. Yeah, cmr.biola.edu. And we have a lot of material out there and information on this. So just um, keep checking in with us. And uh, Tim, it's been enjoyable. It's been great. All right. Talk to you guys next time.